Hello again, welcome to another episode of the Iranian Market Minute. Today is Wednesday, July 6, and this is episode number 147. My name is Justin Hewn. I am your host. I'm the founder and publisher of the Uranium Insider Pro newsletter, the only investing newsletter that focuses solely on uranium and publishes on a regular monthly basis. As always, nothing that you see or hear in this podcast is intended to be investing advice. I'm not your financial advisor. This is not financial advice. Please always do your own due diligence when it comes to investing and always take responsibility for your own choices. All right. Good to be back with you all. <clears throat> I apologize. My voice is a little bit raspy. I've had a mild cold for the past couple of days, but I'm coming out of it. Um, haven't seen you guys since Friday. No, Thursday. So it's been, uh, let's see, five days since uh, since we've been here. And it's been two market days. The market was open Friday. It was closed on Monday for Independence Day, open yesterday and again today. Uh, it's been a pretty nasty market action out there for energy stocks, commodities in general, especially yesterday. Today was a pretty substantial dip buying across most of these commodity sectors, most of these resource stocks, uh, uranium included. Um, we had some pretty big news today around the EU taxonomy. I'm going to talk about that and its implications in the mailbag section. Before I do that, let's go ahead and uh, jump right into the daily scoreboard. Spot price of uranium down a couple bucks today. Um, pretty low volume, really not, not a whole lot going on there in the spot market. We had seen a pretty precipitous and consistent rise in the spot price over the past few weeks with barely any purchasing by spot whatsoever. I think on one day, they purchased 100,000 pounds over the past four weeks, yet we've seen a pretty good rebound in the spot price, although that has not really helped the spot vehicle as yesterday, it closed at a record discount to NAV of 19.48%, a huge discount to NAV, seeing a bit of uh, criticism of the SPUT vehicle out there across the Twitter sphere. Um, there's definitely some folks that think that they should um, uh, go ahead and, and, and make the request that needs to be made in order to expend some of their cash to buy back shares since there's at such a significant discount to NAV. And with the risk-off environment across markets currently, we're not really seeing um, investors in volume coming into arbitrage, that 20% discount. Uh, with that said, I do think that that will happen eventually, but we're still kind of in a risk-off environment. So we'll see uh, how SPUT um, continues to move forward here. Uh, obviously, we saw some dip buying today. And with the SPOT price down, that discount to NAV has lessened throughout the day today. Still a very, very large discount. Uh, They're sitting on still 65.2 million in cash in their treasury. The total net asset value of SPUT is just under 3 billion, 2.92 billion. Their NAV, when they took over UPC uh, in August of last year, that's when their ATM went live, was $600 million. So um, they have uh, almost, they have more than 4X, almost 5X that net asset value of the vehicle in a year. So uh, good for them. And they've obviously been a huge factor in this thesis. Turning to the ETFs, URA had 140,000 in share redemptions uh, between Friday and yesterday. URNM had no change in outstanding shares over those two days. That was about 1.8 million in selling from URA. Not really a big deal. Yesterday, like I said, the sector was really battered. Um, pretty nasty day across the uranium sector, as well as across basically all commodities, energy stocks, resource stocks, the precious metals are uh, currently undergoing a disappearing act. Pretty nasty across uh, across the commodity space and uranium was no exception. Today, like I said, we saw a bit of dip buying. Why don't we go ahead and look at the charts? URA is now fully broken down below that lower trend line of this longer term accumulation cylinder. Um, it's yet to be seen how much time we'll spend below that line. 
but either way, still short-term bearish, all moving averages um, moving downward. It's trading below even its 20-day moving average. There is basically nothing bullish about this chart with an exception of this very obvious and significant um, positive divergence in the relative strength. This is something I've highlighted over the past couple of weeks. Very, very obvious here. We are making uh, three new lows in a row and three new highs on the RSI. Typically, that is good for at least a short-term reverse rally, uh, relief rally, counter-trend rally. <clears throat> Not a lot happening here in terms of bullishness with an exception of that um, positive divergence in the RSI. Let's take a look at Cameco, which is held up better than most. Cameco actually not really making new lows, hovering right around this uh, very, very important level that we've seen, seen the stock um, bounce off of multiple times in the past. Uh, this level that's right around you know, 18 to $20 for the stock. We're back here yet again. And also, if you're looking at the RSI here, while this is relatively flat across these three uh, three points of pulling back, we have three higher lows in the RSI. That is a very bullish indicator in terms of at least, like I said, a short-term relief rally here. Now, one thing I wanted to point out on this chart, and uh, there's a number of stocks in the space that haven't held up quite as well as the Cameco chart, <clears throat> but we are sitting at levels that we saw back in May. And this is about, what is this? This is about uh, seven weeks ago. No, about eight weeks ago. So two months ago, we were at this same level, okay? How do you think sentiment is right now versus two months ago? In my opinion, judging by the comments in these videos, judging by the sentiment of retail traders on Twitter, I would say that the sentiment is far, far worse, yet we're at the same level that we were two months ago, at least for Camago. Now, like I said, URA is making lower lows. We're maybe, what, 5% lower than we were in May. Uh, not all that significant here, less than 5%. <clears throat> Yet we're saying absolutely despondent sentiment. And what that has to do primarily, in my opinion, is not the fact that this is moving lower, but the fact that it's not moving higher with absolutely un unbelievable positive fundamental developments. I'm going to talk about something that I highlighted in a tweet today in the mailbag section on that point. Let's look at URA relative to the S&P, which the S&P actually closed in the green today. We have fully broken down below that trend line. Um, so this doesn't look to be an undercut low unless we reverse course and head higher uh, you know, in short order, which we very well could. Still overall, we're looking, uh, if we zoom out on this chart, we are still outperforming the broad markets since the beginning of this bull market. But this is kind of that classic first really big pullback since the first leg up. Now we did see a pullback the first, the very beginning, in my opinion, of, of, uh, of the bull market for uranium was December of 2020. Now, obviously the lows were in March of 2020, but you know, I don't really say that the bull market began at the V-shaped recovery out of a crash like that. The bull market really took off when the volume stepped in and the stock started to significantly outperform the broad indices. So December, 2020 was that first really big leg. We saw a decent pullback from uh, uh, June to August, that was about a 35% pullback, still nothing like we're seeing right now. So now what we're seeing is about a 45 to 55% pullback from the highs of October, November, some of the stocks peaked in September to the present valuations now. And that is a big pullback. That is pretty gut-wrenching for anybody that went all in during that period of time. 
um, that's not something that we would ever recommend. Uh, we always recommend entering in tranches. And if you had done that, um, you're probably sitting in a better position here. But with all of that said, a 45 to 55% pullback is uh, par for the course with resource investing. Okay, That's something that if you are a member of our service, we highlight the volatility in the sector and every single newsletter, <clears throat> as well as the, um, the, the initial documents that you read when you join. Volatility is like nothing else in the uranium space. And you should not only make a rational allocation to the sector, but um, you should expect big pullbacks along the way. This is a long-term bull market for us. Uh, you talk about the beginning of December 2020. We're in the first couple of innings here, especially after this pullback. So if you can consider all the fu positive fundamental developments during this period of time and compare that with the action of the stock prices, then if you aren't fully positioned and you are bullish and you are patient with your investments, um, you should be able to not sit still right now uh, due to this unbelievable um, opportunity that the markets have presented us with. And on that note, I'm going to go ahead and talk about something that happened today, <clears throat> which I think is significant news. Um, it doesn't mean that the markets are going to move immediately on this news, but it certainly doesn't hurt. So what is that news? The, uh, the EU voted to approve the inclusion of nuclear and gas in the green taxonomy. This is something that we've speculated on for a good part of a year. Um, it, it had been looking positive for this. Then we saw Austria and Germany and, uh, and Spain and a number of other countries, definitely in the minority, but still very vocal about um, not wanting to include nuclear. And you can argue against the inclusion of, of gas in the uh, green taxonomy as the green taxonomy essentially is, is the EU saying, okay, this is a sustainable um, let's say sector, it's a sustainable source of energy. It's, it can be qualified as sustainable for investments. Um, and, and so, you know, the word sustainable really, it doesn't mean anything anymore. It's lost its meaning. No, it, it doesn't actually mean it can be indefinitely sustained. Nobody actually gives it that level of critique. So it's kind of a throwaway word. So is green. But really what we're talking about is, is what this means uh, to, for it to have that label. For it to have that label essentially is a stamp of approval from a large governing body saying, hey, we're behind this. Obviously, uh, for whatever, whatever the, the, the actual reasons for governments pushing hard against climate change and towards uh, a green economies, green energy, et cetera. I'm not going to get into that at the moment, but that is the way things are going. And so whenever you're investing, you, you really have to look at where things are and where they're going, not necessarily uh, why they're going in that direction. So um, whether or not you agreed that governments were to shut down entire economies during COVID, that did happen. And it gave us not only a gut-wrenching pullback in March, but unbelievable opportunities as well. And so now, obviously, especially Western governments are moving in the direction of clean energy, moving in the direction of green economy, moving in the direction, uh, you're, you're even hearing language coming, coming out of the UK, coming out of um, other EU countries, uh, basically saying that, that, cl that climate change is going to impact um, the war in Ukraine. Uh, just absolutely absurd. But the fact is, that's the direction things are going, okay? So with all of that said, nuclear now having the stamp of approval and the fact that it was tied to gas, I think was strategic. 
Why? Because Germany and Austria, et cetera, could not deny the fact that they wanted gas included. And if you lump nuclear in with it, then you can't have one without the other. Bob's your uncle. Here we are. Nuclear is included. What does this mean? This means that on the nuclear build side, that nuclear projects going forward can apply for low-cost green financing. This financing is made available only to uh, sectors that um, qualify as green under the EU taxonomy, and now nuclear belongs to that um, to that qualification, to that category. Um, there's a couple of stipulations with regards to um, nuclear buildouts. It seems like that they had uh, had qualified nuclear as a transitional energy source, <clears throat> still holding renewables as the holy grail, despite what the EU has been through, especially Germany. But it stands now that nuclear is part of the EU taxonomy and is qualified as green. So nuclear projects can apply for that funding, a low cost funding. Uh, more importantly, at least for us as investors and more for the, let's say the short to midterm, obviously for nuclear build outs to actually equal demand um, in terms of some kind of supply and demand dynamic, that's multiple years down the road, you know, five plus years, 10 plus years. Um, it's positive for nuclear, it's positive for the world. We're very happy to see that the inclusion was voted for. But um, in the more in the more near term, <clears throat> what that means is ESG focused funds, green energy funds, they can now invest in nuclear and uranium. So that is a pretty big deal. That is something, and we have definitely heard specifically from investment funds, certain investment funds, that if nuclear can get that green stamp of approval, they will be allocating funds towards the sector. Now, of course, this happens during a moment of you know risk off and recession concerns, and you know I think that we're closer to the bottom than we are at the top of this uh, this particular drawdown across markets. We've seen thirty five plus trillion dollars wiped out in the past three months. That's pretty significant. Uh, crypto markets, you know, the broad markets, commodities have pulled back significantly, even though a number of them have moved quite higher. Um, but the wealth destruction is definitely palpable. So I think that we're closer to the bottom than we are to the beginning of that, obviously. But this is exciting. This means that green energy-focused funds, ESG-focused funds, can now, they are now allowed to put money into nuclear, where um, yesterday and all of the years leading up to yesterday, that has not been technically allowed. So if you're managing money in an ESG fund, in an energy fund, you can now buy Cameco. You can now buy Sput. You can now buy SMR. You can now buy any number of stocks that are in the space of uranium and nuclear. This opens the gate for a lot of funding. How much funding, you ask? Well, you didn't ask, but I'm going to pretend you asked. Earlier this year, there was an article that was put out. Um, this is uh, by, the, let's see, the Banking Exchange. Um, global ESG assets may surpass $41 trillion by 2022 and $50 trillion by 2025. Global ESG assets. They surpassed 35 trillion in 2020, up from 30 million in 2018. 30 million in 2018. Oh, did they mess that up? That must have been trillion. 30 trillion, 35 trillion in 2020, 22 trillion in 2016. So ESG went from 22 trillion to 35 trillion from 2016 to 2020. They expect ESG invested assets to be. North of 50 trillion by 2025. All right. So if 
uranium and nuclear can get a tiny, tiny, a fraction of a penny on a dollar of that funding. That's huge for this sector that's now sitting around a $30 billion market cap for the entire sector. Okay, one more thing I want to talk about um, besides the ESG uh, news, which in my opinion is very good news. We can close that chapter. Um, there's been so much speculation about that over the past year, and here we are. Nuclear is now green, according to the EU taxonomy. Of course, we have known this for years. As far as green is a thing, um, nuclear absolutely belongs in that category. So um, bravo, EU. Okay. I tweeted out today, um, this is actually a retweet from uh, Dave at Moneyology. Um, he does some technical charting on, on Twitter, and he follows the uranium sector. And he tweeted out, EU taxonomy, meh, Japanese restarts, meh, overfeeding, uh, massive undersupply, meh, right? So he's just kind of making a comment about how the market's not reacting to this news. And I retweeted this saying, some of my biggest wins in my investing career have come from buying a company on news that market conditions at the time did not support a market reaction, followed by patience. And now I'm not going to mention, excuse me, I need some water. I'm not going to mention the, the, the company or the stock, but I will tell you the story, okay? This was January, February 2020. It was actually in February 2020, but prior to February 2020, it was January 2020. And we saw the sector starting to slip. Um, the broad markets were still moving up. They were starting to get a bit overextended at the time, but in hindsight, clearly they were not. Um, and this was leading up to COVID. We started to first hear about the news stories of COVID in Italy and China. And the stocks were starting to get a little bit shaky. The broad market continued to move up at the time. Uranium stocks were just you know down 1% today, down 2% the next day, down 1% the next day. Just kind of trickling down. It was just like nobody really cared. There wasn't really anything positive um, in terms of major catalysts moving the sector. And then you had this, this big negative catalyst kind of looming with the with COVID, you know, spreading around the globe and um, wondering how governments were going to react to that, et cetera, et cetera. So this company that I already owned, but, um, you know, I was open to increasing my position on this company, um, had just been trickling down, trickling down. They were drilling. They ended up coming out with drill, drill results that were absolutely huge, um, just very, very high grades decent intersections of extremely high grades. And this is February of 2020. Now they came out with a news release on February 25th. This was kind of like the third day of the COVID sell-off. This was a 3%, 3.5% down day for the S&P, big red bar. And um, because they released that news on that day and in the midst of this sell-off, the market did not care. They did not give, they did not give a rat's ass about this news. And this was very, very good news for the company. This is company moving news under normal markets. Um, I added that day, okay? And I added over the following week because I knew that this was very, very positive for the company, right? Now the markets continued to sell off over the following, let's say five or six weeks, if I'm looking at a chart in the background of where this company went after I bought it. Um, let's see, uh, apologize for the delay here. March, 2020, okay, I bought it around there and it ended up, so I took about a 35% drawdown from when I bought it on that great news to where it bottomed, um, you know, March, third week of March. That stock then went from the level where I bought it at and it 12 x 
in the next 18 months. Now, I'm not saying that uranium stocks are going to 12x from here or 10x from here or 20x from here or even 5x from here. Do I believe that they will 5x from here? Some of them absolutely will. Um, some of the large caps, um, we will have to see. Okay, I'm not making price targets here. My point being is that what we're, what we're in right now is a market where the, the market conditions are as such that positive fundamentals for the sector or the companies in the sector, they don't matter. They don't matter. And what you can do during times like this, if your conviction is low, if you're here because you think that everything should be moving in short order and it's not, you can just throw in the towel, take your losses, you'll get a credit on your taxes for next year. You can come back and you can chase the stocks when they start to move in the opposite direction. What you can also do is recognize that the market is in a place where the positive catalysts don't matter. So what does that mean? That means that we're just in a risk-off situation across markets. That doesn't mean that this news won't be meaningful and moving of the sector in the mid to the long term. All it means is that the market is not going to react to positive news at the moment. Now, we'll see mild reactions. A couple of weeks ago, we saw the DOE news and a bunch of the stocks in the U.S. shot up. I mean, we saw UEC up, what, 15 16% on the day, had a, had a mild relief rally. We've given all that back. So what I'm trying to say is that, in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, the market is giving us a life-altering, potentially life-altering opportunity here because I've never been so positive about the sector. Now, I had a conversation with a friend in the sector, and this person is going to go to remain anonymous. This is somebody who has probably done 15,000 hours, uh, maybe 20, in the uranium sector in the past five years. Okay, This person knows the yearly demand of uranium for each reactor in the world. This person knows, um, has their own modeling, et cetera, et cetera. Now we were talking about March, 2020 versus now, because I think there's a lot of analogs. Is there as much panic and fear just in the collective consciousness of society? No, there isn't. Um, we're seeing, obviously the Fed is way behind the curve raising rates into a recession rather than raising rates when the, when the markets are roaring like they were, you know, during Trump's administration and, you know, up until just, you know, up until COVID essentially, and even after COVID with the unbelievable QE. But that that's, you know, besides the point that the Fed is behind the curve, they're raising rates into a recession. We're seeing those recessionary markers. We're seeing the housing market come to a screeching halt. We're finally seeing the pullback in the actual prices of the commodities that move society. That's oil and gas. Um, but there are some analogs here, right? There's plenty of analogs. There are, there's fear in the markets sufficient to continue to cause the markets to fall, despite the fact that um, certain markets in particular are very bullish going out in the long term. Now you could make the argument in March of 2020, leading up to March of 2020. And this is what we were talking about. I was, I was thinking about that time period and I, I could definitely, at the time, of course, I was very bullish on uranium. Um, but me being bullish on uranium is very different from somebody with a short-term objective being bullish on uranium. And it's really pointless, honestly, to argue about trajectories of theses, let's say, with anyone else, because no two investors have the exact same objectives, different ages, different amounts of money invested, different timeframes, different financial needs within those timeframes and beyond, different goals. Uh, if you're someone at or beyond retirement age, you're going to have a different risk 
um, risk profile, risk tolerance in somebody who's in their 20s and can just be extremely aggressive because time is on their side to make that money back if it doesn't go well for them, right? Um, so it's really kind of pointless to, to compare those things. But for me, in 2020 and early parts of 2020, I was heavily invested in uranium. I was very bullish on the outlook for uranium. But you could argue that at the time, the expected trajectory of that market was, was very difficult to state, right? So, you know, at the time I would throw out, this is a three to five year investment for me. And at the time I did not know in the early parts of 2020, exactly when the market would turn and really take off. Okay. Because there's a relatively vague, or there was, now it's pretty clear at the time, there's a relatively vague number of pounds kind of above ground mobile inventory. You know, we had that modeled into a certain number. We, we figured we knew where we were. We didn't know that spot was coming along. We didn't know that the markets were going to crash with COVID, that Cigar Lake would shut off, that because Adam Prom would, would halt their well-filled development for six months, et cetera. And of course, we couldn't see out into the future in terms of financial flows, um, buying up pounds, obviously Russia invading Ukraine, et cetera. But we were generally bullish. You know, we had an outlook of that three to five year time frame without knowing when the market would really take off and how exactly thin the spot market was, how thin the UF6 market was, and uh, precisely when those markets would move. Now, it's difficult to be precise at any time in the uranium markets. And I'm not saying I'm precise now, but you could argue that, that was the fact at the time. And then we had the market sell off in the COVID crash. That was a time to be aggressive. And we did get aggressive. And, um, you know, even if you missed a 10, 20% move off the bottom of that crash, you're still up huge, right? And so what I'm saying is, if you can look back in time, if, if you can start with, start with the level of your own conviction in this sector, that's a place to start. If it isn't that high, then you probably don't belong here. Then you should be a momentum trader. Um, you know, maybe that's selling out now and miss that move off the bottom. As you know, those, that move off the bottom could be 15 to 20% in a day, but it can happen. And maybe you're okay with that. Maybe it's too difficult to hang on during these periods of volatility, which by the way, this is part of the course, a 50% pullback in a long-term commodity bull market should be expected. This is going to happen again. So if you're into uranium, you want to hold this thing for the next two, three, four plus years, however long it goes, expect more of these. Okay. So that's just straight up. Start with the level of your conviction and then go back in time to March, 2020 and think about your emotional state at the time whether that was from the markets. And there obviously was fear around something that had nothing to do with markets at the time. We're actually concerned about the safety of our own health, of the health of our, our loved ones, of our grandparents or great-grandparents or relatives or neighbors or whoever it might be, coworkers, friends. So that fear played into the markets, of course. And then we have you know the Bill Ackmans of the world coming on, taking out... Uh, $1.3 billion short position and going on TV and crying about his grandpa, pleading people to stay in their houses. Um, absolutely disgusting behavior. And But go back to that time period and think about how you felt as an investor and then zoom out now and go and look at a chart and what has happened since March, 2020 to basically everything. But you, know, you can look at some uranium stocks that are up 10, 15, 20X since that point, right? Even now with this 50% pullback, we're still way, way up. 
My point is, if you have a long-term time period in mind for your investments and you have some money to invest, by the way, if you put all of your investable wealth into uranium, then you have more risk tolerance than I do. Um, and hopefully you didn't do that at a bad time. And if you did, this is a lesson for you to not put all of your eggs in one basket. And I'm sorry to say that, but every investor has to lose in order to get to a place where they can have uh, winning streaks and have and come out on top the majority of the time. That has to happen. You have to screw up. You have to lose money. You have to bet too big. You have to get too aggressive. You have to buy short dated calls and get wiped out. That has to happen. You have to have those experiences. It can't be any other way. One of the biggest things, in my opinion, that can really work against an investor is having a big win at the beginning of your investing career. It gives you a false sense of confidence, a false sense of accomplishment, uh, a false sense of acumen. So if you look back at that period of time, remember how you felt and then look at what happened after. And then you can maybe recognize or start to recognize the opportunity that's being presented in front of you right now. And there's a lot of opportunities out there right now. I think this is probably a, not necessarily this moment, but during this pullback going into whatever recession we're going to have with the Fed uh, rate hikes, the oil and gas sector pulling back is probably a pretty big dip buying opportunity. It's probably a big dip buying opportunity for copper, probably a big dip buying opportunity for tin, for lithium. And for uranium is the sector I follow, obviously. So I'm extremely excited. I see the opportunity and I remember those wins. I remember buying that stock that those, those drill results came <clears throat> on a really terrible day in the markets. And I was like, oh my God, the market doesn't care about this. I am buying this right now. And then I weathered another 35% down, but I held on to it and um, I'm up huge on that position and I continue to hold it. So that's, uh, I just thought I'd give you a little bit of, of history of my own experience with seeing a market not recognize a positive development. Now that was for a single company. We are seeing that there are some companies putting out decent positive news right now, but most companies are just kind of hanging on tight, you know, riding through this, this choppy waters of the broad markets currently. So that's just where we're at. And um, when will this turn? I don't exactly know. Do I think we're closer to the bottom? Yes, I do. Um, am I bullish on uranium? I've never been more bullish on uranium. And as I've highlighted uh, across last week with the fireside chat with Mike Alkin and, and, um, and Guy Keller from Tribeca and Marcelo from L2 and uh, some other folks that I've talked to over the previous week, you know, these guys are, are, are chomping at the bit. These guys are getting aggressive. And I understand it's difficult to weather these pullbacks. If you're out of cash, I understand that's difficult. Um, uh, but the, it is what it is. These, this makes a market and we're always going to have people selling at the lows. That's just how it's going to be. And sentiment is something really important to look at. I realize I'm rambling on here. So if you're still with me at this point, congratulations. But if you want sentiment signals, look at the comments to this video, the videos of the last couple of weeks. Um, go, go across Twitter. Look at the comments for from you know the people posting positive developments in the uranium space, positive for nuclear, and look at some of the the comments uh, to those to those posts. Um, I'm not going to say who this is, but um, I, I made a post earlier in the day. I retweeted somebody else's post. I'm not, I don't even see what this post is at the moment, but their response is, "What the f is going on? Who is selling at these levels? It's going to zero. Then they commented to their own tweet. Would Sprott be shorting here, driving the price down? Then they commented again. Are institutions selling Sprott, Segra? And I, I'm not saying this to make fun of this person, but what I'm saying is 
this is the type of commentary that you see at bottoms. You see sentiment despondent at bottoms and euphoric at tops. And so that doesn't mean that we can't go lower. But when you see people panicking on Twitter and you see really snarky and nasty comments on these videos, honestly, I don't really care. Makes a market. And I'm here for the long run anyway. So to, this, to the extent that you appreciate these videos, I'm going to keep making them. With that said, um, I'm super, super excited about where this is going. And um, everything is lining up. And that EU news is, uh, is very good news. It's very good news for the, for the longer term of this market. So all right, I'm going to get off my soapbox and I hope you had, <clears throat> excuse me, a great weekend. Um, if you are in the States, I hope you had a wonderful 4th of July, one of my favorite holidays. Um, there's a lot wrong in this country, but there's a lot to be celebrated as well. So I always appreciate that. And um, if you are a member and you did receive our letter yesterday morning, if you did not, for whatever reason, get that email, log in, and you can download and read the letter. We go deep into a lot of what I was just discussing, of course, and much more deep into the fuel cycle and how we expect that to play out into the U308 market and the investing market um, uh, in, in turn. Okay, I will see you guys tomorrow. Thanks for listening to my uh, rambling, uh, kind of gnarly sounding <clears throat> podcast today. Take care. We'll see you tomorrow. Cheers.